Welcome back, dear listeners, to the Dish with Dina podcast. I'm so happy to have you join us. My guest today is Madeline Colpin, a registered dietitian based out of Jacksonville, Florida. Maddie is also in training to become a yoga instructor and is getting ready to launch her private practice. Maddie and I dish about being creative with meal planning, the benefits of a 10-minute walk, and recommendations to support our bodies and minds as we age. So sit back, enjoy the conversation, and let's dish. Welcome, Madeline Colton, to the Dish with Dina podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my program. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I was a little under the weather, so I've taken the time in the beginning part of the day just to do a whole lot of nothing, and I'm feeling a little bit better now that I've allowed myself some rest. So thank you for asking. Of course. Yes. Get the rest in. Get the rest in. Self-care <laughs> is not a luxury, my friends. It's an investment in your health. So Maddie, let's talk a little bit about my first question. Whenever I interview guests is always, how do we know each other? So share with our listeners how you came to learn about my podcast. Well, I saw a post in one of our online Facebook um, dietitian groups about potentially being on the podcast. And I was like, that's really cool. And it's always great to meet other dietitians. And then I started listening to the podcast and it's just a really great program of getting to hear different people's perspectives on how they came to their relationship with food. And even if they're still exploring, everyone has different journeys. We both share a profession together, but all of my guests are, you know, we all eat as my motto goes, we all eat and we all have a story to share. So I can't wait to learn a little bit more about your story. So take us back in time. Where did you grow up? What was your upbringing like? Tell us a little bit about your relationship with food from the early stages of life. So I grew up in Kansas City on the Kansas side. It wasn't all farmland where I lived. So my mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was six and I was the oldest of four. So my youngest brother was one at the time. And so that really shaped our whole upbringing with food. Um, she went and saw a dietitian during her chemo treatments and all this stuff. So we never had the good snacks in our house, like other, my friends would have with the chips and the gushers. So I'd love to go to my friend's houses because they had all that stuff. So that was kind of how we ate. We never really had a bag of chips in our house until seven, 10 years ago was when it started to become more of a staple. And I was like, this is weird to see in our pantry. But that I think really shaped our upbringing. And that also was what kind of led me to being a dietitian as well. Cause I was like, wow, this is so cool that I mean, to my six-year-old brain, right? It's like, this is really interesting how food can help help you heal. Um, one of the quotes that I found during my, before getting ready for the internship was the food you eat can either be the safest and most powerful form of medicine or the slowest form of poison. And that is so true. And I love that quote. Well, that sounds very heavy and challenging for a six-year-old to be going through that. And also recognizing that, like you said, the 
environment at home had to prioritize your mom's health and your mom's treatment Mm -hmm. plan. So were you able to, even at that young of an age, were you able to partake in any of the preparations of the meals? Did somebody else in the family help out? Was your mom strong enough to do things on her own? How exactly were, like, what were the types of meals that you were eating at the time? And were you able to celebrate anything too, seeing that, you know, this was unfortunate situation going on? My mom was in the hospital for a month, I believe. And so my dad was the one home. It was early in the year. So we didn't really have any holidays coming up um, in terms of that. But my dad was the one cooking. And in between chemo treatments, she would be pretty sick. So sometimes we wouldn't see her because she'd be resting. And so I just remember we we had salmon and broccoli a lot of nights. <laughs> so now I kind of have an aversion to to broccoli. I'm working through it, but I'm like <laughs> something about salmon and broccoli mixed together. I just can't do it now. I what you were saying before about the snack foods. I know that I've shared this before in one of the the episodes that our family, my mom and dad were very into a lot of the whole foods. We also had a small garden in the backyard and my dad would consider everything else quote unquote junk. And so like you, when I was at my friend's houses, I would just be opening up their pantries or oh, you know, yeah. we'd go have homework assignments together. And I would just gorge myself on Skittles and Milky Ways and Pringles and whatever else was in that pantry. And then come home completely sick to my stomach because I had like no control. It was overindulging. So I want us to talk a little bit more about that because being that at such an early age, you kind of knew what a dietitian was and did and how that profession plays a part with a lot of us. I didn't know even what a dietitian was. I'd never come Mm -hmm. across one before, but also now in our more current generation of dietetics, you know, we're trying to expand on the premise of there are places for all foods to be allowed in your meals. We want to try to dissuade people from thinking there's moral attachments to your diet. So, you know, portion discussions, appetite cues, and making sure people don't feel guilty or bad for eating something that might not be super nutritious all the time. So tell me a little bit about the journey that when you were younger, moving into your older years, more independent, you know, however you came into this profession, where did things start kind of changing? You know, where did you start kind of easing up on the candies and the broccolis and all of the other things that might've influenced you as a child or been part of your childhood? And then what's the direction that it took leading you up into this moment? When my mom was going through all of that, she'll say she was kind of scared to eat anything because of just what was being said and you know you can find anything and everything on the internet so we would she would portion size her nuts because if you had more than like the quarter cup or whatever it was then that outweighs the good of it but so even though we grew up without really those snacks I've never been a big snack person even now we have like chips and whatever in our pantry here and I don't really eat them that much I still eat them but it's not something that I overindulge in um and then just I think during my high school time I was I was really restrictive on what I was eating because I had just I knew I was gonna go into this field so I was just researching all day every day and so there were some foods that I was like I am not eating that that is I wouldn't even look at like a slice of pizza 
for example. So that was something that I think I had to work through as well with just what is a healthy relationship with food. And even though it's quote unquote bad or good, um, every food has a place. So it's, it was kind of a challenge to overcome that, but I think coming out living on my own too, I was able to kind of explore those things as well. And I know you and I were talking before our official interview started just about how a lot of the dietitians that we come across, we all have some similarities, or maybe some of us go into this profession based on our own history, okay. our own experiences, or even our own health concerns too. That's kind of what drove me in that direction that mm -hmm. I was dealing with some gastro issues and so on. Do you currently have a specific approach that you take or looking into like specializing into whatever condition, population, age range, whether it's part of what you're doing in your full-time pursuits or where you see yourself in the direction that you're going. Cause you're, you're fairly new at the dietetics profession. Yes. So share with us a little bit about who you kind of come across, what your maybe, you know, typical client is. And if you are more interested in some other area of the profession, specialty or patient population. So I've worked with geriatrics um, pretty much since I started about two years ago. And I, I like the population. I have a lot, it changes all the time, but I really do like cancer and how food can help with that. I also find dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, I did my thesis for my master's program on dementia and foods. So that was super interesting because I know that's something that has started to come up more and more that I've seen more diagnoses of it. So I really like that research. Um, but every, that's why I love this profession is because every day you just keep learning and there's so much to learn and you never stop. So every day's new. And then every day I'm like, wow, I want to go into this. But then on the other hand, I also would love to go teach up and coming RDs too, because I feel like everyone coming into the field is similar and just being able to share my love for it with people that have similar interests would be amazing. If you don't mind, I want to talk a little bit more about the older adult population yeah. because there is so much to take into consideration that also I think stereotypically we think, oh, when we get older, like we're all on that verge of, you know, we're just waiting for the time to run <laughs> out and we're all disease states. And yes, there are probably more comorbidities. Like you're probably managing multiple yes. types of diagnoses and also the discussion around polypharmacy like how that affects gut health how the side effects end up being treated with you know more medicines that's what polypharmacy means being on multiple medications and then how that is it possible since you brought up the brain discussion is it possible that because of the fact our gut system our immune system is starting to weaken we're becoming more immunocompromised after the age of 65 naturally but if we are ha dealing with multiple diagnoses taking in a lot of pharmaceuticals pharmaceuticals or medicines or whatever it is damaging potentially you know that gut flora mm -hmm. is that possibly also connected because we've had discussions in some of our previous episodes and i've held some webinars about this too of the gut brain Axis, what are some of the things that you're noticing if you're coming across research that you know is in support of the brain health or how that might be connected, especially in the older adult population? If you can speak to that, as these patients come in and see us, they're 
They're like, don't put me on any more medicine. I don't want any more medicine. And there is something to be said about that because not all diseases you can care for with food, but there are some things that you can make some dietary changes and maybe get off some medications, but also they're a little bit stuck in their ways of this is how I've been doing it my whole life and I'm not going to change it now. I'm 75 years old. I'm not changing anything I'm doing. I'm 25 and I'm not changing anything I'm doing right now. So (laughs) it's been interesting to hear the other side of it where they're like, just don't put me on any more medications. And I do think with some of that population too, there's not all this research that we have now and all the information. It wasn't readily available to that population when they were at a younger time and had were newly diagnosed with these. It was just like, here's your medication. Here's your life now. So it is kind of hard to backtrack and go through that. Um, but seeing, I don't see too many dementia or Alzheimer's patients right now, but it is interesting the medications that sometimes the doctors want to use to try and clear up any brain fog they might be having or, cause it's hard to say what their baseline is essentially with, with it because every day is different. I found a piece of research that said brain degeneration happens like once we turn 30. So it's something that it, it happens all through whether it becomes prevalent or not is kind of individualized, but it is really interesting that we can somewhat prevent it. I mean, there's no cure for it. There's no treatment to stop the progression of it, but there is some research out there that eating certain foods or food groups can help slow down the progression of it if it started early enough, which to me was really interesting. I am so fascinated by this whole concept of, you know, we age, but I also have a weird theory that you know, back in the day when the average life expectancy was in the thirties or whatever Mm -hmm. it was, and also just looking at body composition, the fact that we peak bone density wise, muscle mass wise around the age of 30, 35. So it really becomes, as I say, a flipping full-time job, just keeping all of this running. It becomes our own personal efforts that we have to make in order to do that. And that's, not always easy. And of course, you know, we, we have to acknowledge the privilege that it might take for us to have access to certain things like gym memberships or seeing whatever kind of specialist or healthcare yes. provider having health insurance and that to, to, or access to healthy, nutritious foods and being able to have a place to cook and eat. So the, I think the best we could do is whatever we can do, right? Move what you can, eat as best as you can, try to incorporate the guidelines that we have. But also I I keep turning this into an advocacy discussion every time I have these conversations too. Like make sure we get out there and vote for the people who are supporting agriculture and healthy foods and, you know, whatever the food system is doing these days, like make sure you're trying to pay attention, try to be an educated consumer. It's never too late to start getting back on track, but it can be a little hard. Like you were saying, it's possible that if you're already dealing with a condition, that condition might have to continue being managed by medicine and there's not going to be food modifications, but are there other things that you can do in addition to, to stave off the progression of that thing getting worse or to- hopefully maybe reduce the risk of getting something else so right kids out there listening to this 
I mean, I'm using the word kids just in a general term, but really <laughs> like start thinking as early as you possibly can. What are the choices that I'm making now? Are they going to affect me as I age? Even if you're like, oh, I can't think of, you know, decades down the line. Strength training is a huge thing. Getting enough protein in, you know, eating your veggies and maintaining hopefully a healthy lifestyle. Don't smoke, don't abuse certain pharmaceuticals and so on. What are some of your suggestions and your guidance, you know, if you could kind of go back in time to tell people this is what maybe could have helped you or like you said, not prevented, but maybe prolonged the progression of your disease. What are some things that you wish people would have known earlier? I think now with, like you said, the gym memberships, like those are becoming more and more prevalent. I mean, it's kind of hard to find someone who doesn't have some sort of gym membership fitness plan. Um, and society today, we are more sedentary. We sit at a desk, we work. Um, it's difficult to get up and get moving. So just finding things that you enjoy too to do, whether it be walking or lifting weights, it shouldn't be a chore to eat. So finding foods that you like, you can make modifications to them. Um, I know there's a bunch of recipes out there of like ways to sneak in your vegetables now where they're like here's some mashed up carrots that I put in my tomato sauce or what have you so that getting creative with meals too because they don't have to be boring you can find all these recipes out there now with the internet and just play around with it and it doesn't have to be very labor intensive either because I love a good let's make a bunch of food and put it in the freezer or have leftovers for four days. <laughs> right. Exactly. When people think of this concept of meal planning and preparing their meals ahead of time, I really try to encourage people, try not to come in too hot. Don't be overly ambitious. Day four, you're probably going to not want to eat the same thing. Exactly. So if you mix and match some things, if you, as you just said, if you have the ability to freeze large quantities of things for later in the week or later in the month, and then do allow for time to do takeout or if you just feel like having an impulsive meal or having leftovers. I mean, that's my go-to at the end of the week. I basically just open the fridge door and just empty out whatever's in it into a bowl. It may or may not match. Like I don't even care. There's barbecue tofu and hummus <laughs> and like whatever random thing. Exactly. Like, it's just food. Who cares? But some people might be a little bit more particular. So obviously, you know, cater to your own preferences as you're looking to this. There's no, as we tend to say in the profession too, there's no one size fits all. So if you are no. working with a professional or somebody who is trying to help with your food modifications and help provide you with some behavioral changes, recognize that they should customize it to you, whether it's your cultural, yes. traditional foods, convenience items should be approved and okay, right? You might not have the time to cook from scratch. You might have to grab a bag of frozen peas and carrots or canned beans or whatever. Which and, can also be the same nutritional value yeah. as well. So it's not, because I think people do look at frozen or canned as being worse. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. For me, it's easier to open a can of beans and rinse them off than boil them and deal with all that when I can just open a can and it's there. And I don't have to worry about it going bad or them spilling all over the floor because that has happened. I'm a creature of habit. I would eat the same thing every day. That's just me. But I know that my husband isn't like that. So I, I don't meal prep where I make a big quantity of like rice and broccoli and chicken, for example, and just put it into containers. And there we go. I like to, 
I have a food menu of our dinners for the week. So I just write down what we're having for dinners. And it has helped me with grocery shopping too, because I used to just walk into the store and just put whatever I felt like in the cart. And then I'm like, wow, what can I make with like celery and hot dog rolls and some salsa? Like, I don't know. So it has helped with that. And I don't spend as much money now at the store. Then I can see where, oh, maybe it's cheaper or if I buy a huge bag of carrots and I can use them for another recipe instead of buying specific items for one meal, or I can use them the next week as well, which is really nice. I am a huge fan and advocate of please make sure that you're buying things that you will need and use. Try not to waste food. (laughs) I love inventory shopping through my own pantry. So, you know, once a week, once a month, whatever, I'm ready to go and kind of like replace all my staple foods. Let me just make sure everything that's in the cabinets is being used up. I have a ton of things like, as I'm sure you do too, staples on hand. I have nuts. I have dried goods and then condiments. I'm huge fan also of you know, doctoring things up as you wish. I make salad yes. dressings from scratch. So I love yes. playing around with flavor profiles and different kinds of herbs and, herbs and spices. And this way also it helps with making those decisions a little bit easier. I can still get the same thing over and over again if I feel like it's just easier for yeah, me to do that. Definitely. But playing around with the different flavors and different ways to cook and prepare different things, different methods of cooking makes it feel like a whole new brand, brand new meal if you want to. Um, we So we just played into the garden and we've been getting a ton of vegetables from it. And I'm like, we need to eat all these vegetables before they go bad. So I like to, with the vegetables at the end of the week, make a quiche, fry them in olive oil a little bit, put them in the pie crust and bake it. It's super easy for dinner. It's also nice to have for breakfast. So, and then you're not wasting food. That's a great thought as well. A lot of people, I think, tend to think of breakfast, right? So I'm a big fan of making sure we front load our calories, like try to eat as much as you can a little bit earlier in the day, because you're moving around, your body needs energy. I'm not a fan of, I'm just having coffee and then not eating for six hours and then having like a massive meal sometime midday. I really do encourage people to have something in the morning that keeps them fueled, hopefully protein-based. And so that I think challenges the typical Mm -hmm. American, you know, just have cereal for breakfast or have something that's like more grain based. I I do say, think outside the cereal box, have last night's dinner, have salmon and whatever, or chicken and whatever, or last night's, you know, leftover quiche, because who cares? Food is just going to be there to fuel you to get you out the door versus having something that you think is like, you know, something easy, simple, like a piece of toast or oatmeal, Mm -hmm. even if it's just plain oatmeal, Again, grain-based foods are fine, but they don't really last as long, right? They're not as filling. They don't fuel you as much as having a protein source as well in there. So add some nut butter or a handful of nuts to whatever you're eating. Spread some peanut butter on your toast. Have avocado for healthy fats as well as something else. Or like I said before, have your last night's dinner. Who cares? Nobody cares. Nobody's judging you on what's considered like the standard American breakfast. breakfast. (laughs) You mentioned too before about physical activity. I wanted to acknowledge this also that I think when I was saying to you about just the human body, uh, as it goes through body composition, natural body composition changes as we age after that sweet spot of 35 or so where things just naturally start stopping or slowing down. And even though food is always going to be a priority for me, I think in, in my journey, and I've noticed also for a lot of my clients over the age of 35, 40, and in their fifties too, 
we really shift it. It's almost like, are you also being physically active in the sense of, are you getting that heart rate up every day? Are you incorporating some sort of strength training, weight bearing activity to help with the maintenance of your muscle mass and also reducing your risk of falls and fractures when you're in your seventies and eighties and so on. So do you do something every day that keeps you physically active? Do you have a regimen? Do you tend to like certain things over other things, whether it's cardio or gym or outdoor or group activities? So I am in training right now to be a yoga teacher and I will finish with that in October. And I really like it. It's low. It's a low impact activity. You don't have to be flexible to do it and you can make it as hard or as easy as you want, which is what I like. Some days I'm like, I just don't feel like working out. So I'm going to do a light stretchy kind of flow or some days I'm like, I want to get my heart rate up. I want to sweat. Let's do a hard one. But I also go to the gym and do weightlifting three days a week and cardio two. And then, so I do cardio on Mondays, weights Tuesday through Thursday, and then cardio on Friday, just kind of what works for me. Cause motivation's low for me at the beginning and end of the weeks. Um, whether that be the stair stepper or sometimes I'll be like, it's so nice out. Let me just go outside for a walk and I'll actually power walk it instead of a leisurely walk um I also have two dogs so I walk them which is nice because I'm like gets everyone out and enjoying the weather I used to run a lot when I was little and younger and I loved it and I still like it I just it's hard on my knees now (laughs) so but I try to be active every day whether it be just a quick 30 minute yoga session or just walking the dogs you're in a city that is outdoor friendly, pedestrian friendly, correct? Yes. I am in Florida too, which makes it easier to be outside. So it's nice weather pretty much all year round. Yeah. You get the encouragement of just going out and being in that vitamin D in the sunshine. Yes. I live in New York city. I walk everywhere. I mean, it's, yes. if it's within 45 minutes one way, I'll probably be hoofing it. However, recently my knees and my feet are starting to tell me that they're not in love with that anymore, (laughs) but I'm trying to find ways that I can do other things. So I'll either treat myself to, you know, putting on like compression knee braces and still go out for a walk, make sure I have sensible shoes. I make sure I replace my sneakers every year when the treads start on them. And then I've really enjoyed spin. Like I like being on a bike. So that's something that doesn't require me to be smacking my foot down all the time. So that's working for me. So like you said, you know, finding, finding for the listeners out there, if you like doing something, do something you enjoy. You don't have to go and join a Zumba class. If you can't stand being in group dance places, like don't do that. Do something that you enjoy, right? Sitting is the new smoking as we have come to learn. If you are leading a sedentary lifestyle, you're more at risk for things like cardiovascular disease later in life. Get that oxygen flowing. If you're currently, and I'm just going to disclaim this, obviously this is not medical advice because we don't know who you are, whoever's listening, but you know, any movement is better than no movement. So if you're currently diagnosed being at risk for type two diabetes, for example, taking a 10 minute walk after a meal gets that oxygen flowing, the blood flowing and the insulin out so that the glucose goes into the cells. And hopefully that helps with stabilizing your blood sugar levels. I read a really interesting article about that um, the other day, actually. And it was, it said even a five to 30 minute walk right after eating a meal or eating a snack can help regulate blood sugar levels, which I found really interesting because I didn't know that it worked that quickly, but 
when we were, when I was younger, we would always go on after dinner walks as a family. And I love doing that. It's a good way to help digest and just move. And it, it can be leisurely. It can be brisk. And I've started to do that with the dogs. Some not, not every night, but some nights I'm like, let's just go for a quick walk after we eat, whether it's down the cul-de-sac and back, it doesn't have to be very long. And even when I go to the gym and I'm on the stair stepper, I will turn on Netflix so I can have something to watch and kind of get my mind off of what I'm doing. Cause I'm like, I don't really need to focus on my speed or anything. Cause the machine does it for you. I just need to make sure I hit the steps. And that's a good way to distract myself. Yeah. You just reminded me, we used to do that too. We had after dinner walks and that's also my parents mm-hmm. were born and raised in Italy. And that's a very European thing to do to like yes. walk around post meal and that's something that we don't do, or at least I don't see people regularly doing that yes. here in the States. And that's something that I definitely encourage. Also, it just gets your mind out. Like if you've been sitting at the computer all day, right, you move your hips around a little bit or whatever you can move, get out there and just stretch or take some yes. time away from being seated. So let's talk a little bit about a current week in the life of you and then also where you see yourself going in the future. Well, every day is a little more or less similar for me. I, like I said, I'm a creature of habits. So I just, I like to make my list and check all my stuff off. Um, so now mornings, I either go to the gym before work. I try to, we always walk the dogs in the morning just to get them out and get us moving. And then I go into work, do my work thing, come home, walk the dogs. If I didn't go to the gym in the morning, I go to the gym then. And I like to end my nights now doing yoga. So I'll do a quick 30 minute or an hour kind of flow. And then that's pretty much it. On the weekends, we like to go out and be active. We like to go to the beach. I found running on the beach is a lot easier on my joints. So I do enjoy running on the beach. I was like, wow, this doesn't hurt the next day. Like, that's nice. And I like to just explore and go find new places and see what's out there because there's always something new and something going on here (laughs) and it forces you to look out and look around I mean I can't even begin to tell you in the 20 something years I've lived in the city that I still will find hidden gems and places that I think I've walked past a thousand times and I've never come across before and that's existed and I just didn't pick my head up to look right I'm just in the the zone it's like is that new no is it's that been new? here for 10 years yes. yeah and then you were talking to about future pursuits right so you're kind of new at what you're doing now but you have some ideas of where you're going in the future what yes. are some of the things that you're looking to get into and then if you can share with us too because we do have our listeners are a lot of uh, as uh, I think I shared with you earlier nutrition students dietetic interns what we call like the rds to be people who might yes. want to be dietitians what are some of your go-to resources could you talk a little bit about your references and your research materials but what other things you're kind of keeping current with and then planning your future career path so I am very very new at starting my own business right now I just started a social media page and that's about as far as I've gotten um I would also I love traveling so I just want to be able to travel and go see new places I don't know how that can fit into a dietetics career path just yet, but I'm hoping that it can. Um, And just being able to combine the two with the yoga training too, it would be 
neat to incorporate both things together and see what I can do with both of those. I've always really enjoyed fitness and working out. I think they both, they go hand in hand. So it's the perfect storm of things like, okay, you're working out, but are you eating what you need to be eating to get the most out of your workout? Cause I mean, that's a reason a, a lot of people work out. I won't say everyone, but a lot of people work out cause they want to build muscle or get stronger, what have you. So making sure that everyone is doing what they need to be doing to meet those goals too, I think is really important. So it would be nice to put the two together and see where it goes. I very much encourage anybody from any field, whatever profession you're in, to have something else in your back pocket, to either have a specialty, Mm -hmm. a trade, or a certification in something that makes you feel a little bit more unique in your profession so that in the global sense, you can generally do whatever with any population. Um, So now we're speaking more specifically to the dietetics profession that yes, we can meet with any client and we know patient-wise, whatever population, but to specialize in something, whether it is condition-related, population-related, mm-hmm. or venturing out more into health and wellness on a broader sense, whether like you, yoga teaching, sleep coaching, m- mindfulness, you know, like taking in the holistic yes. approach too, I think is so important because it's true. A lot of behaviors will, or I should say a lot of factors will then influence our behaviors and our choices that we make in feeding ourselves, not feeding ourselves, paying attention to our self-care or not. Sleep also plays a huge role in a lot of things like neurodegenerative diseases and appetite. So, I mean, so many things are interrelated. I think you can, I think you can absolutely marry the things that you want to do, the passions that you have together and, or at least be able to supplement that in a way that some of us can't, because I'm, you know, I'm not qualified to be a personal trainer or a yoga instructor at this point. So I have no right in including that in my scope of practice, but I can easily refer somebody to some, to somebody like you who is more qualified to do that. And this way you kind of get more bang for your buck when you're working with somebody like Maddie here. So that's lovely. I love that. I hope that you do get to do those things. Uh, let's go to my final two questions for you to answer, which are somewhat related. My food pun, what is on your plate today, both figuratively and literally? So what are you working on after we end our conversation? And then what's the next meal that you're planning to eat? So the next meal I'm planning to eat is a very good question because I made our menu for this week, like I said, but we've just had so much food in our fridge. I feel like I'm like, I want to just get rid of it and like eat it all before we make something new. So I have some, some vegetables and so I might do a salad with if some leftover um, quiche from last night. So I might do that for dinner or some cilantro shrimp bowls. Cause we have fresh cilantro in our garden in terms of what is on my plate for today. Don't really have a lot. <laughs> just going through gonna walk the dogs later and get myself ready for the end of the week I have my yoga training this weekend and then I'm traveling the next two weekends so just kind of getting ahead of the game for the weekends that I'm gone that's good to have some lull but also you know other things that you're doing that keep you activated active and motivated so I always appreciate those little moments in time in my schedule where I'm like ooh. 
I can just rest and just stare out the window and just <laughs> collect my yes. thoughts or do nothing. Then, I, then I'm going through my checklist of like, what can I be doing right now? Yes. Well, that's something that we've, I've talked about this in some of the previous episodes where do we feel like we always have to be productive, especially those of us who are these type A personalities? Yes. Like, are we allowed to just chill out and take a B and not have to always be doing something? <laughs> I mean, I hope we can, like, don't feel guilty. You know, laundry is there. It'll be there tomorrow. You're allowed to just take a minute. <laughs> I need that plastered on a wall somewhere, I think. <laughs> very important. Very important. In that way. Yes. Well, Maddie, it has been a pleasure getting to know you and learn a little bit more about you. I can't wait to see what the future entails for you since this is the beginning of many, many years to come in your career. I'm yes. excited about that. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Dish with Dina podcast. I am Dina D'Alessandro, registered dietitian, nutritionist, founder, and chief executive life changer at Dish with Dina, and I'm also your host. If you like what you heard, I would be so grateful if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and share this with others who you think might benefit from what we have to offer on these episodes. You can also join my mailing list at dishwithdina.com or email me at info at dishwithdina.com with questions, comments, feedback, and if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode because everybody eats and we all have a story to share. I hope you tune back in next week when we dish again. Dish again.